0: If you're enjoying our show, please make sure you're subscribed and join us on Patreon today, starting at a tip of just $3 at patreon.com slash Dreamer. Every little bit helps and really adds up, and that is the power in community. So thank you so much for however you're able to support our work.
1: Modern society has been built at random according to the chance of scientific discoveries to the fancy of ideologies with with almost no regard for the laws of the way the body and the soul works. And so at the end, we've just been the victims of this illusion that we're able to take ourselves away from natural laws.
0: What is this public health scandal around shoes and our need for layers of foam support within them that we need to know? How does our feet's strength impact the health of our brains, joints, and body as a holistic functional system? That's just the tip of the iceberg of what you'll hear today. Green Dreamer is supported by our listener patrons and our sponsor, Buffy. Buffy makes bedding that's Earth-friendly and cruelty-free. Its newest comforter is called The Breeze, which is made 100% from eucalyptus fiber to regulate temperature and keep us cool and comfortable all night long. I'll share more with you shortly along with a discount code, but for now, to our conversation with Galahad Clark, a seventh-generation Clark of the Clarks' shoe dynasty, the founder of Vivo Barefoot and the co-creator of the short film Spiracy. Green Dreamer, if you're ready, take a deep breath, and let's dive in. Hey, it's Kamea Shane, and this is Green Dreamer, a podcast for creatives, visionaries, and entrepreneurs dreaming of a sustainable future. Thank you for bringing your light. If you haven't already, make sure to hit subscribe, and together, let's learn what it takes to thrive in every sense of the word.
1: I grew up in the countryside for a start. I grew up by the seaside and generally in a really rural, nature-filled part of the world in southwest England, in Somerset and Devon, and if anyone's ever been there, they'll know it's full of wild coastlines and surf beaches and amazing cliffside walks and nature, downs and wetlands and so I was born in a nature-filled world basically and it just took me a bit of time when I finally moved to the city in search of something or other to finally reconnect with that.
0: And I know it's been a long road since then but what got you interested in getting into the footwear industry?
1: Well my family have been shoemakers for seven generations so they started making shoes in 1825, and my grand-grand-grand-grand-grand-grand-grandfathers wow. started making slippers out of sheepskin in Somerset. And one thing led to another, and they, they built a, a wonderful, what in today's terms would be called a social enterprise, where they reinvested all their profits back in their people. They had a very low pay differential from the top paid worker to the lowest paid worker, they invested a lot of the profits back in social causes all around the world and built a really inspirational global shoe brand based on innovation and investing in providing the best product to society they possibly could. So I was always tremendously inspired by that heritage and believed in it, but in a weird kind of way and you know, obviously many generations detached determined to sort of forge my own path and so I went to university in America which is about as far as where well as I could manage from where I grew up and but while I was in America and as every middle class white boy I was totally inspired by Wu-Tang Clan and unbelievably Wu-Tang were wearing the shoes that my father made many moons ago and so one thing led to another and I effectively made a deal with Wu-Tang to launch Wu Shoes. And that's what got me back into the shoe industry to to start with. And so the rest is kind of history.
0: Yeah. So this whole idea of how Today, most of our footwear, we're having our feet serve our shoes rather than the other way around designing our shoes to serve our feet's functions. It's really fascinating to me because I had never really thought about this before. And you guys recently came out with a short film called Shoespiracy that is super informative and I'll be sure to link to this in the show notes so our listener can check it out. But Can you walk us through how our modern footwear industry came to be what it is today and how they came to be designed the way they are today?
1: Yeah, so I was a product of the modern shoe industry and obviously came from a long line of shoemakers making, frankly, fairly conventional shoes with padding and support and arch support and air and all the modern technologies we associate with modern footwear. And a childhood friend of mine came to me with the idea and he had a pair of Nike Harachis and he cut off the sole and just stitched on a tennis racket cover And said, look, this is the way shoes should be made. They should just allow your feet to do their natural thing and they should be allowed to feel the ground. And I instinctively loved the idea. And so one thing led to another and we basically started making shoes that allowed the foot to do its thing. And we finally started releasing them and producing them and it was a tiny business at first but we got incredibly passionate response from the consumers and the people that were buying the shoes and most importantly we got we started to get response from very learned scientists and medics and doctors about how the foot works and so we went on this incredible kind of journey of education with these incredibly learned people and where something started as slightly as an instinctual thing and just, you know, yes, I never felt better when I was barefoot and I get home and I kick off my shoes and I never feel better when I'm barefoot. We suddenly started getting educated by our consumers and people writing into us and saying, wow, these are the first shoes that really allow the foot to do its natural thing. And the more we learn, the more we study, the more we realize like, oh my God, this is something that is ultimately the truth and we have now a responsibility to share this truth with the world and we learned about biomechanics and kinematics and kinetics and how the body functions and the foot functions and the many degrees of motion and everything that's in this little trailer that we've just produced and one thing led to another and we ended up dedicating our lives and stopping all the shoe, other shoes we were making to just making the best barefoot shoes we could make because the evidence, once you get to understand it, and the experience, once you get to feel it, it's just overwhelming.
0: Mm.
1: And Shoespiracy is a little film we've been wanting to make for many years and it finally came together. Actually, the evidence and the science is still coming through And we'd love to turn that into a full-length, hour-long documentary in the future.
0: So our shoes didn't always be the way they are today with so much cushioning and padding. Like you said, your great-great-great-great- I don't know know how many greats, your great-great-grandfather created shoes just with sheepskin. And traditionally in the past, we also didn't have all of this padding and support in our shoes. So how did this happen? How did that become the norm?
1: Well, I mean, we've been around on the earth, for, depending on what science you believe in, we've been around on the earth for at least 6,000 generations. And shoes were arguably one of the first tools that humans ever created, because obviously bipedal humans don't have hooves or pads. And so we needed protection from our relatively delicate feet, from the camel thorns and hot sand of the savannah in Africa, and then to be able to cross the deserts and the mountains to populate the rest of the world. Indigenous shoemaking, let's say for the last thousands of years, was basically very simple foot coverings made from the local materials available. So in China, they used to make simple shoes out of reeds and straw and cloth and bamboo fibres and things. In Lapland, where it's minus 40 degrees, they made shoes out of reindeer skin that were simple moccasins that covered the foot and kept them warm. In Africa, they made shoes out of eland skin, which are giant antelopes that protected the foot from the camel thorns, and so on and so forth, all over the world. The indigenous Americans made moccasins out of deer skin and elk and whatever else was local in t- to where they lived. And actually, they had a spiritual belief that your feet should never be more removed from the earth than one natural skin. Mm. And and that's the way shoes were made for thousands and thousands of years. And in the last 500 years, when we started riding horses and things, we we invented heels, which were originally designed to keep our feet in the stirrups. And one thing led to another, and then... To cut a long story short, in the last 50 years, when the whole exercise boom happened in America and people were wearing heels as on their everyday shoes and their dress shoes and hobnail boots and whatever as fashion items, when people wanted to start doing more exercise, they realized that they, that they were suddenly getting injured in the flat soles pim- they were wearing. And so... Bill Bowman kind of consulted a bunch of doctors and they said, you need to put a bit more heel and arch support into your shoes. And thus was born the modern sneaker industry as we know it. And the more technology and heel support and structure we put into the shoes, the more technology we need to correct for the problem that the previous shoes are creating, as it were. Mm. And it's a kind of vicious circle and, as some people describe it, the matrix. So I think, you know, it's a a very modern problem having to wear shoes to correct for problems that were made for by the previous shoes.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I'm definitely seeing a common theme here in regards to how this relates to sustainability in that we're used to just addressing the symptoms of an issue rather than the root cause of it. There it is. But by putting a band-aid on the symptoms rather than understanding how our bodily organ systems function or how our ecosystems should function healthily and supporting that function, by only making the symptoms go away, we oftentimes unintentionally create more problems that we then have to go on to address.
1: Yeah, I mean, look, it's a it's a massive issue in the modern world where the 20th century in particular saw this massive move to try to emancipate ourselves from nature and through modern technology and all kinds of amazing new inventions and technologies we tried to extrapolate ourselves from the way nature works and the truth is there's an ancient wisdom to the way the body works the way the gut works the way movement works, that modern technology is not able to supplant. And so we often talk about this basic idea of it's just ancient, almost modern technology and modern science and modern understanding is bringing us back to just basic ancient wisdom in the way we eat Mm. and the way we move and the way we, you know, create things to help us exist in the the world.
0: Right. So... Innovations are great and we're constantly innovating to solve problems that we have, but it sounds like maybe sometimes we place too much emphasis on innovating new ways to solve our problems rather than learning from our past, learning from what has worked and learning from people who don't live in quote-unquote modernized ways.
1: Yeah, I mean the funny thing is that a lot of modern innovation is just taking us back to our ancient ways. Mm. And especially modern innovation that actually works is ultimately just a reconnection with nature.
0: And given that we have this obsession with technology and advancement through technology, how do we balance that going forward in terms of its place in sustainability? Because we can't really go back to how things were necessarily in all industries.
1: No, I mean, I, I think the more we understand, the more we will go back. And, you know, I love Avatar as a kind of analogy of that. And the whole principle in Avatar is these super evolved and understanding beings ultimately understand that we're all connected and we're connected to the species around us and ultimately to nature. And the the most advanced state of being is is to be connected to nature and to be at one with nature. And, you know, it sounds like slightly cheesy and hippie-ish, but the greatest tomfoolery that humans can ever do is to try to emancipate themselves from nature.
0: So we have to shift our ways of looking at progress and this focus on economic growth through extraction and this focus on technological advance as the way to move forward.
1: Yeah, I, I think, you know, modern society is built, has been built at random, you know, according to the chance of scientific discoveries, to the fancy of ideologies with, with almost no regard for the laws of the way the body and the soul works. And so, you know, at the end, we've just been the victims of this illusion that we're able to take ourselves away from natural laws. Mm. And, you know, in the end, nature never forgives. And we see that in countless examples. And technology can help us ultimately, like, actually help us understand ourselves rather than just master the material world around us. Because without understanding our physiology and psychology and sociology... You know, and where where we kind of almost advance more in technology and materialism, I do believe that technology can actually help redress that balance ultimately. Where in the first instance it's taken us away from that understanding, and where you know we, we've progressed much more rapidly in all this material and material understanding before knowing ourselves in the end it will help us understand ourselves.
0: Coming back to footwear, why is it that we're commonly told that not having sufficient enough of a support within our footwear or cushioning is actually damaging to our bodies and our feet? And is there research behind this or why has this become so persistent?
1: So we've survived literally thousands of generations with zero underfoot technologies. And when you look at studies of unshod populations that have no shoe technologies at all, they have almost perfect feet with no foot problems, no pain, no lameness, etc. And so the, the truth is that normal shoes are making our feet weak. And we've seen a couple of studies recently, and unfortunately, one in particular was too late to include in purity, where a big scientific study of 50 people, of young 20-something-year-olds, just walking around in barefoot shoes every day, basically as close to barefoot as possible every day, versus a controlled group of another 50, 20-something-year-olds walking around in their normal shoes. The group that walked around in basically next to nothing shoes experienced a nearly 58 percent increase in foot strength compared to the group that were walking around in normal shoes now you know you may say 58 percent increase in foot strength is not really irrelevant you know who cares about how strong our feet is but the truth is that all that's happening is not about getting strong feet the reality is that by walking around in normal shoes your feet are getting dramatically weaker and all that's happening is when you start walking around in barefoot shoes or sort of less shoes your feet start to dramatically go back to their natural strength and if you think about that having weak feet you have to compensate that for the rest of your bodies so It's not about getting big, strong, meathead feet. It's about (laughs) just getting back to your natural foot strength, how weak your feet have become. Everyone's feet, frankly, have become in normal shoes as we know them. And the the thing is, if you have weak feet, then you have to compensate for that in, in the rest of your body, up the kinetic chain, in your ankles, in your knees, in your hip, in your back. And there's just too many people in the world now that have problems with their knees, problems with their hips, problems with their backs, they're in some kind of chronic pain, and it might not be so much in weak people, but I I think there's a statistic that in America, something like 80% of people over 60 have some kind of chronic pain. Mm. And from where I'm sitting, I would associate and link that very strongly to them just having weak, deformed, lack of function in their feet.
0: Hmm. And given that a lot of us walk on hard concrete or hard surfaces most of the time, can that artificiality coupled with walking hours bare feet cause harm? Or it doesn't matter what the surface is so long as it's allowing our feet to do its thing?
1: Yeah, I mean, the substrate of concrete has been shown to be totally equivalent to the density of the substrate of concrete the plains of Africa of, of where our ancestors spent thousands of generations growing up so and there's plenty of studies showing that barefoot Indian rickshaw pullers for example running around bare feet on cobbled stones have almost zero foot problems whereas something like 90 percent of um, Americans have some kind of foot pain in their life mm. so I think the whole kind of now we walk around on concrete all day long is, 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 is not a valid one. And not only that, actually, there have been studies to show that walking around in padded shoes in a concrete world, basically dulling your senses and walking around in a homogenous kind of surfaced world, actually kind of has been linked to brain deterioration diseases like Alzheimer's. Because your body is programmed to receive vital information from every step. And so if you put padded shoes on and walk around basically your whole life in a concrete world, then your brain is sort of starved of information. And so the air of your brain that is designed to get information from your feet kind of atrophies. Mm. And, you know, when you when you stop using parts of your brain, your brain becomes less efficient and that has knock-on effects to your vital brain function. So the more sensory information you can give your brain, the healthier your brain is, right? Makes sense. And so the less vital information you give your brain, the less well your brain works. And there's a guy called Dr. Mezenich in the University of San Francisco who's done a lot of studies on this, And you can look them up on YouTube or whatever or scientific journals and, and, you know, to to show this kind of vital sensory information and, and, and this vitality that is so important to just everyday life and ultimately brain health.
0: Given the progression and focus of the modern footwear industry to focus on cushioning and support, how have the materials used within the industry evolved and what does that mean in terms of its environmental impact?
1: Well, I mean, obviously, we live in a world where we're obsessed with cushioning in footwear. And the cushioning is mainly provided by petrochemical foams and plastics and polymers. And so um, it's both environmentally damaging and health damaging that most of the people in the Western world are walking around in cushion petrochemical foams that are both totally damaging to the environment and damaging to their health. And you know, hence the name for shoe because it might not be a complete shoe but when I've and spoken to the bosses of leading shoe companies all around the world about Beaver They say, look, we've seen the research, we understand it, we totally get it, but the consumer isn't ready. And especially in children's shoes, like children's shoes, they used to be about health, but they're not really about health anymore. It's about fashion and mini-me's and outfit completers. And so it may not be overtly a shoespiracy, but the truth is it is a bit of a public health scandal where the leaders of big shoe companies are knowingly making shoes that are unhealthy for children Mm. you know and it's tantamount to basically giving children cigarettes and things and adults uh, are totally at their own mind to smoke cigarettes or be unhealthy or pursue fashion choices or whatever but the, the mission we're on is to at least educate people as to what the base layer of health is. And then your choices to deviate from that are, are adult choices, but they shouldn't be children's choices.
0: So for you with Vivo Barefoot, in addition to the focus to let our feet do their thing and function the way that they should, how does a shoe brand practice sustainability? So what do you do in terms of the materials and your other manufacturing?
1: First of all, sustainability is is definitely not just about materials and I love a book called Sustainability by John Ehrenfeldt, who's a an American college professor in um, I can't remember what university now. And he defines sustainability as the ability for humans and other life to flourish on earth. So there's no question that there's a health aspect to sustain there's a use aspect to sustainability and so he says the only excuse for filling the world up with more crap and creating products into the world is that products should at least do one of three things they should help us connect more with nature they should help us feel more human and or they should help us ask important environmental or ethical questions Mm. And it was kind of through this sustainability lens that I realized that the only shoes that were really sustainable were were barefoot shoes. And frankly, that's what indigenous shoes are and the way shoes have been made for thousands of years. And it's ultimately shoes that help us be as close to our natural state as possible. I help us feel more human. They help us literally connect with nature, where well, they help us feel the earth and You know, when you walk through the world in a pair of barefoot shoes, you literally get all the sensory information from the world you're in, whether you're even in a concrete world or in the middle of a wood. And they help us ask important environmental and ethical questions in terms of, they just connect you to the world on a level where you literally think about sustainability on on an individual level. Because, you know, the reality is that all humans are connected to the earth through their feet, and we can all feel as, as one species on earth, there's the one kind of common factor, and we can feel global warming through this, and we can feel the poverty as well as the sort of rich connection to each other and earth through our feet on one earth and one humanity.
0: I know you recently collaborated with the Aspinall Foundation, which is an internationally renowned wildlife conservation charity. What motivated you to choose this foundation for the collaboration, and what is its significance to you?
1: Well, first of all, it's based pretty close to where we are. They're friendly neighbors, they're an inspirational charity. There's a guy that made enormous amounts of money, not always in in the purest way, but he in a sort of very reformed way, took all the money he made and decided to dedicate it to making the world a better place, as as we see with a lot of big capitalists in the world today. I'm the father of young children. And, you know, the truth is there's a whole bunch of species that, that are alive today that my children may never see as adults. And the Aspinall Foundation are one of the most inspirational charities that are trying to reverse that so we want to link that to our kids view program because it's obviously kind of pertinent that we should do everything we can that our children should grow up in a world with these species rather than you know just reading about them in books
0: Finally, looking ahead at the healthier world that we'd like to realize for ourselves, you mentioned earlier that a lot of footwear industry leaders know what we need to make healthier shoes, but they're just not doing it yet. What do you think we need in order to shift the focus of the industry to prioritize our feet's health, our feet's functions, as well as prioritize holistically sustainable practices like you guys do?
1: I think it's it's what we're doing now. It's it's ultimately about the consumer and education and, you know, we live in a world where information is flying around faster than it's ever flown around. And, you know, your average sort of African child born into a mud hut with a smartphone has access to more information than even JFK ever had. And so I hope that, through the education and the facts and the truth that we're sort of basically dealing with, the common sense and the truth will prevail and the consumer will start to vote with their dollars and start to demand healthy functional footwear for their children and at least a kind of accepted definition of what healthy functional footwear is for themselves. And so there's a kind of knowing deviance from that for fashion and I never want to stop people wearing sexy high heels and men and women that wear pointy fashion shoes of the day to show off their best best bits but there should at least be an acknowledged healthy sustainable gold standard of what is true sustainable healthy footwear I hope the internet will will help us come to that faster than the shoe industry will ever allow. And it needs to be a consumer-led revolution, as it were. Mm.
0: So what can we do as individuals to support this mindset shift, as well as what tips can you leave us with in terms of how we can improve our feet's health and help us to reconnect more directly with our earth?
1: Yes, look, we've created this trailer of shoe spiracy that you should all share. Push it out into your networks. We'd like to get one of the major networks, someone, or even someone like Netflix, to commission it to become a bigger documentary and help the education around that. And we'll also help crowdsource that. And then, you know, as as every individual can do, just wear less shoes, kick off your shoes as much as you can. If you live in cold places, and try and buy shoes that are thermally protective, but at least kind of thin and flexible. If you live in hot places, then just spend as much time as possible barefoot. When you get home, take off your shoes, feel your feet, do foot exercises, roll golf balls and tennis balls under your feet, you know, re-engage your big toes, put a big rubber band in between your two big toes and feel the stretch and the action between the toes. Do lots of squatting, get flexibility back into your ankles because ultimately it's all about rediscovering natural healthy movement and the stronger and healthier your feet are, the more flexible your ankles and your hips are the happier and healthier you're going to be and ultimately the more sustainable choices you're going to make and the better the world will be so you know reconnect with your feet reconnect with nature and you know everybody needs to do that a little bit to make the world a happier healthier more sustainable place
0: before we go into our final five i wanted to tell you more about our sponsor Buffy's new comforter, The Breeze, is 100% plant-based and cruelty-free, which means no down, no polyester, but made entirely from eucalyptus fiber, which helps us to stay cozy without overheating. It's softer than cotton, hypoallergenic, and eucalyptus uses 10 times less water than cotton to grow. And the best part is that you can try one in your own bed for 30 nights free. If you don't love it, you can return it at no cost. For $20 off your Buffy comforter, visit Buffy.co and enter your discount code GREENDREAMER. Again, that's Buffy.co and Green Dreamer for twenty dollars off. For now, to our final five, let's power through. What's an uplifting social media account or publication you follow?
1: There was actually a slow media, like in the same way, slow food publication called Tortoise, which is a almost an invite only news channel and community that is truly inspiring. And in a world where there's too much information for too many people and too much of it is bogus, slow, selected media is the way to go. And tortoise is a wonderful example of that.
0: What do you tell yourself to stay positive and inspired?
1: Two things. One is, um, and this is where I got to barefoot, is a Quote by Ted Hughes It says, At the end of all our exploring, we shall come back to the beginning and know the place for the very first time. And that's a Joseph Campbell idea of the heroic journey that you need to go out there, you need to adventure and fight, but then always come back home to what you know and what you understand. And the more you go out there and make those heroic journeys, the more you'll understand your home truth, the better. And the second thing I always say is like, my definition of success is to fail but as long as you wake up the next morning with no lack of enthusiasm, then you're on the right path. It's all about enthusiasm.
0: What's one thing you're working on right now for your health? Trying to live in
1: a calorie deficit world where I eat less calories than I burn to keep my weight down and still be able to enjoy fine wines from time Hmm. to time.
0: What's one thing you're working on right now to live more sustainably?
1: I am trying to buy less stuff.
0: What makes you most hopeful for our planet at the moment?
1: I'm in a lovely position where I interview uh, lots of people. For our, we, we have a new, amazing head of sustainability, and I'm in the wonderful place where I'm interviewing people to join her team. And the young... People I meet that want to get involved in working in business and sustainability are some of the brightest, most inspiring people I've ever met in my life. And so, you know, I'm just totally hopeful by these brilliant young minds that are totally dedicated to building a more sustainable future. And as far as I can tell, there are lots of them, and I can't hire enough of them, and I and I and I meet more of them than I can hire, and so that makes me totally hopeful that there's just a lot of amazing, sustainably minded young people out there, and I wish I could give them all a job, and I know they'll go out and inspire lots of other companies and to be more sustainable and do things the right way, so. Ultimately, it's, you know, people are going to solve the problem that people have created on this world.
0: Mm. Well, thank you so much for this insightful conversation. We would, of course, love to keep learning more from you, checking out Spiracy as well as check out Vivo Barefoot. So where can we follow your work online and support you?
1: You know, vivobarefoot.com is where we cobble away. We're just cobblers. You know, we we, we make shoes that help you Feel more human, connect more with nature, and as humble cobblers, that's the best we can do. So, hope you enjoy our shoes and rock the Casbah and keep it real.
0: And we can check out the documentary through your website.
1: Yes, there is a Shoespiracy link on the on the on the website and the document the documentary, which I hope is just a trailer to a much bigger film that will come out soon. Is at Shoespiracy TV.
0: Perfect. We're looking forward to hopefully getting to see a full-length documentary soon. But for now, what are some final words of wisdom that you'd like to leave with us as Green Dreamers?
1: I'm a relatively young, unwise person, but I would say, you know, fail and fail better next time. Never give up failing. You just have to be comfortable in that. And, you know, don't get hung up on success. Just keep on failing and never lose enthusiasm.
0: Don't be afraid to fail and keep up the enthusiasm. Green Dreamer, thank you so much for tuning in. If you're enjoying the show and it's been helpful and meaningful to you in any way, I really hope you'll consider supporting the show if you're able to and joining our Green Dreamer network. If so, you can head to greendreamer.com support for more information. As always, you can find our show notes by going to greendreamer.com 138 for episode 138. You can reach me with feedback on how we can improve the show for you through the website's contact page. And you can find me on Instagram at Kamea Shane and at Green Dreamer Podcast finally, as we're wrapping up, just remember, now more than ever, our planet needs your light to thrive. So if you haven't yet, hit subscribe and I will catch you later, Green Dreamer.